Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for November has been provided by Joyent, the only cloud service that's purpose-built to power today's real-time web and mobile applications. Joyent offers the most cost-effective public and hybrid cloud solutions available today. Here at 5x5, we host all of our web and app servers in the Joyent cloud, so we highly recommend you check them out and sign up for a free trial at joyent.com. Okay, my guest this week is Jamie Phelps. You may know him as JXPX777 just about everywhere. Uh, he works for Agile Bits, creators of 1Password, and welcome to the show, Jamie. Thanks, Brad. It's an awesome privilege to be here. It is. It's great to have you on. I, I, I'm. I'm sure you know Merlin mentions you uh, fairly often, and uh, and uh, it, this is possibly, if I'm not mistaken, your first podcast appearance. It is indeed. I'm honored. Well, anyway, anyway, welcome, welcome. So, how long have you been working for Agile Bits? Strangely enough, and it seems odd kind of in this day of uh, people moving around back and forth from different jobs, uh, especially in the tech sector, but I've, I just passed my five-year anniversary with Agile Bits. And so you've been working there since before they were Agile Bits? Yeah, when I came on, it was uh, Agile Web Solutions. AWS. I think it's good they uh, changed that. Oh, yes. It's, it's a much better uh, branding, I think. Yeah, I like the new logo too. Tell tell Dan, I've, I've met him before. Yeah, well, he's kind of a diva. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I and I mentioned when Dan was on that I, I worked with you for a little while at Agile Bits, and yes, uh, indeed, I think the team you guys have is is just outstanding. Considering you're split around the world. The the camaraderie that you guys develop and and kind of the the teamwork that you put forth is amazing. Yeah, it's actually it's a really strange environment, and uh, as evidenced by people that have kind of come and gone in the group, not it's not for everyone. And uh, you know, we have people in we have I think we're up to almost like thirty five people now, and four and I guess a half countries because I'm not sure if. Scotland is part of Great Britain, or if, if we're supposed to consider it separate. <laughs> All right, semantics. So anyway, how, okay, five years ago, you made a decision to join what at the time seems like it was probably uh, an unpredictable company with an unpredictable future. What were you doing before you did that? I uh, was doing ASP.NET development for a large uh, or an international retail company. I don't know if I can say their name. Uh, is it because it's unpronounceable or because you feel some kind of gag order on your contract? I don't have a contract. Okay. Well, your choice. I'm not going to drag it out of you. But you were doing... Well, well, you, okay. you, yes. You were doing large-scale web development for a stable company. Right. And uh, I went to C4... Uh, the conference for indie developers in uh, that was wow September of 2008 and I was there to I had you know aspirations of being an indie software developer and went to the conference on a student scholarship I had just finished my uh, or I was finishing my my second undergraduate undergraduate degree and um, met Rustam and a couple of the other guys at uh, breakfast one day 
and they mentioned that they were looking to hire a hire on some more people and um I went back to to my job not really thinking much of it and then the stock at our company started going south and when it went under a dollar per share there was kind of this mass panic especially in the uh in the software engineering area because they have been kind of on this cycle of layoffs every six months. And so it was like this storm of uncertainty in where I was and this kind of vague idea of an opportunity. So I just sent Rustam an email and he kind of got the ball rolling. And then the opportunity actually came up for me to join the team. And it was one of those things where I had to make a pretty big decision at the time of, you know, I'd been using one password since, you know, for, I guess, almost a year at that time. And so I knew the product and I knew, you know, that it was popular, but I didn't know anything about this company or, you know, the state, the stability or the future outlook for it. And, um, I ended up just making the, the leap to leave this sort of stable job in a big building downtown that people could see and go work with, uh, these people from Canada that, you know, I barely knew. And I you know, knew to, we were going to bring Canadian into it eventually. Well, I mean, it, it, my, my family, Racist. you know, I, Oh, it's, it's called xenophobia. Brett. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt. It's uh, no, it's fine. Um, my family, I come from a fairly blue collar background and my family, they were like, you know, wait, we knew kind of what you did. We could see that you had to wear a polo shirt and go into an office and do things on computers there and then come home. That makes sense. But now you're going to use the internet and have an office in a Starbucks and do what now with these weird companies, this weird company from Canada that does something with Macs and iPhones. Do you still wear a polo shirt? Only when I want to. Right. But anyway, anyway, anyway. So so you, t- you took a job with, with some Canadians where you didn't actually go to work and you worked what is now known as remotely. I don't know if five years ago it was as common an idea, but I've been working remotely for a long time now. Years, more than five years. And I couldn't, I, I can't. I'm looking at kind of shifting jobs right now. As you mentioned before, it's, there's a short life expectancy to a tech job. And I'm kind of feeling the need to move on. But I find myself only being able to look for remote work positions because I can't stand the idea of going into an office anymore. Oh, it's absolutely true. I, I The way that I describe it to people and... My wife, bless her heart, she has a job in an office where she has to go. Oh, that's good for a marriage. One person has to leave the house once in a while. And she has to go and sit down and do things for a certain time span. And I, she tells me stories about, you know, what the latest office drama is. And I go, you know what? On the rare occasion that I just get really annoyed with my coworkers, yeah. I just close the lid on my computer and I go for a short walk and then I come back and everything's okay. Or I command Q all of my, uh, <laughs> chat, all my chat programs and nobody bothers me. Isn't that nice? Just the ability to go dark. An office door can still be knocked on, mm-hmm. but when you quit IRC, 
you can't get pinged. Exactly. Of course, now we're using HipChat, which sends me emails if someone mentions me in a chat when I don't have it open. I get a push notification. We, we're using HipChat also. Yeah. I, it's cool. You, you notice the, uh, the, the regex, like, last comment substitution? Mm-hmm. I just found that accidentally. I, I like, was correcting myself, and I was just going to, you know, like, hacker speak, just S slash. And, uh, and it changed what I had just said. And I was, wow. And it can do bots and stuff, too. That's actually pretty cool. I'm going to take a sponsor break. That sounds awesome. I want to hear about this. First sponsor is Hover.com, Simplified Domain Management. Hover makes it easy to register a domain without trying to sell you all those services you're not interested in. You just type in a few keywords and Hover will figure out some available domains using those terms for you like a hip chat bot. There are a lot of dot whatever choices out there, but Hover has some really great ones, including .net. And .net's a popular extension, but it's still new enough that you can get the domain that you're looking for. Hover keeps getting better and they offer Google Apps now. You can add Google Apps to a new domain or one you already own on Hover. And here's the deal. You get everything you already love about the full suite of Google's productivity apps, Gmail, Calendar, Drive, Docs, the whole package. With Google's size, as I'm sure you know, they can be hard to get a hold of with your questions, concerns, and support needs, but that's the best part. You get everything you love about Google Apps, but with the outstanding support of the team at Hover. People already love Google Apps for Gmail's 25 gigabyte storage and how easy it is to collaborate with chat and file sharing. It's a great solution for businesses, but it's also great for families and groups who want the ability to share everything they're working on. If you're still not quite sure Google Apps is for you, they're offering a 30-day free trial to see what you think. Hover has real human beings available for support, and their number is right on the front page of their website. If you have any problems, just pick up the phone and call. Use the code DANSENTME or visit hover.com slash DANSENTME, and you'll get 10% off of everything you buy from hover.com. Did you like how I worked a hip chat bot into that? I loved it. I feel like that, that was, that was clever. A, it was extemporaneous. Extemporaneous. That's a clever word. The clever murder. The, oh man, what's the guy's name? Uh he like he's a British talk show host and he has a lot of actors and comedians on his show. Graham Norton, does that sound familiar? You don't watch TV, do you? I actually do watch TV. I watch a lot of TV. Mostly he, mostly network shows, though, because I don't have cable. He had uh, Steve Carell was explaining how to kill a fly and how to trick the fly into flying right into your hands. And his response was, ooh, clever murder, <laughs> which has stuck with me for some reason. I like that. I don't know why, but I like that a lot. Did you know we're having a fireside chat right now? Check this out. I have a fireplace in my office. You got a fancy office. I have. It's like, it's kind of a furnace fireplace, but you open the doors and it's, it's basically a fireplace. And, uh, all I have to do is be careful not to get it so hot that it melts my computer Mm -hmm. and I can work with a crackling fire next to me. And I love it. Well, with all the hardware that's in my closet, if I open the doors (laughs) in there, the, the heat just comes blasting out. Yeah. Yeah. But you live in Texas. I do. It's been, uh, let's not talk about the weather. That's really boring, but it's been much cooler here than it has for a while. Why would you want to ruin my streak of never doing a podcast without talking about the weather? You want to talk about religion next? No, that's a terrible idea. Actually I I, I do, but you're right. We'll, we'll avoid it. Um, 
sorry, I'm randomly throwing things into my fireplace that are within reach to keep the fire going and trying not to throw anything really valuable in there. So um, I may make some bumps, but I really want this. Fu- it's 44 degrees. That's just cold enough to make it worth having a fire, you know? Anyway, definitely. instead of religion, we'll talk about something tangentially related, if you don't mind. Uh, magic. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll See, now you magic. want to go theologian on it and, 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 and like, uh, debate magic versus religion, but. Actually, I'm more interested in, uh, in magic versus prayer from an anthropological standpoint, but I really don't want to get that nerdy. Okay. Fair enough. But, <laughs> but you are a magician insofar as you, you learn and perform and, and practice and, and love magic tricks. I do. Yeah, I've uh I've been interested in it since I was in high school, but I never in high school it was a thing where we didn't have a magic shop in the town where I grew up and the internet wasn't really so much a thing yet. I mean, I had AOL and that was about it. I have AOL and that's about it, but not for internet. Well, right. Um okay, so but so you- uh, over the last two or three years, I've been focusing on it or well, not focusing, um, giving it attention and um, trying hard to get better at it. And this year in March, I was actually um, I did my qualifying performance for our local magicians club, which was uh, kind of a high watermark for me. Describe for me from the audience point of view your favorite trick or, or your best trick, whichever one you feel is more apt description. So the set that I did for my qualifying performance and that I've performed twice for, um, our agile bits, uh, company conference retreat thing is, um, it, the, the finale is like, so the, the beginning of the trick is, um, with two coins, one of them is, uh, silver and one is copper. And then one of the coins vanishes and reappears in an impossible location inside of this coin box. And then I take that coin out and I explain that, you know, I don't, that's my favorite coin. I don't actually ever keep it in the coin box because the coin box isn't trustworthy. And I, the, then the coin vanishes again and it's revealed inside of a box that's been in plain view in front of the audience for the entire set, not just for that trick inside of, well, inside of that box is another box inside of that box is a glass goblet. It's actually a stemless wine glass inside of that wine glass is a ball of yarn inside the ball of yarn is a box that is sealed together with rubber bands. And I open the box. I open the second box, pull the glass out. I hand the end of the string to someone and then they pass the goblet around the entire audience, unwrapping the box that's inside the yarn, the yarn. Then they open the, take the rubber bands off the box and the coin, which I had the, the, spectator mark so that it wasn't, you know, just a second coin is revealed inside 
the third box. This sounds a like something you have to see to understand. Yes. <laughs> and B like something that requires some theatrics to really uh pull it off. Are you are you good at the theatrical side of magic? Do you consider yourself good? I think I'm getting better, but I don't think I'm very good at it just yet. I'm sure I, I know some of the people that have seen me perform listen to the show, so I, they'll they'll either confirm or deny my estimations. Have you ever considered wearing a mask glitter and doing that thing where you pull two fingers away from your eyes and yell magic? I'm going to take that dead air as a no. I don't, I don't understand what just happened. I'll send you a picture. Okay. Um, do you do jazz fingers, spirit fingers? No, I, what I usually perform in is a pair of jeans and a, um, a green icebreakers long sleeve shirt and a double breasted um, plaid blazer. Sexy. It is. I've got pictures. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just thinking of double breasted plaid blazers. Well, it's like a, it's like a plaid tweed kind of. Uh, what color, what color, fabric. like what's the overall color tone of this blazer? Oh, it's green. It's green. And so it matches the it's green It's very shirt. earthy tones. Yeah. And you have, that's your uniform? Like, mm -hmm. is, is that what you're most comfortable performing magic in? Yeah, I was, I actually, it took me a long time to come up with sort of what I felt matched my style in performing and also afforded me sort of the air of uh, officiality of, you know, being a performer because I definitely knew I wasn't going to be one of the ma magicians that wears like a tuxedo and, and does all of those things. I have friends that are great at that kind of thing. That is definitely not me. It doesn't match my personality. It doesn't match the, the tenor of, of the show that I do. And uh, so it took me a long time to, to really find something that I thought fit with the whole gestalt of my show. Gestalt. Um, so follow up question. Do you do anything else in this outfit? Is that, that's no. my cat in the background. Is that, or is that yours? I don't have a cat. I have really loud cats. Okay. So anyway, do you, do you do anything or is this, is this outfit specifically for performing magic? I wear, I w obviously I wear the jeans and, uh, the, the long sleeve, uh, crew neck shirt. I think we both know we're talking about the blazer. The blazer only comes out when I'm performing. It's a magic blazer. <laughs> it's a magic blazer. Nice. Um, Title. Okay, so so I've had I've had uh, Victor Agreta Jr. on the show, and uh, and he's he is he loves magic. He he enjoys performing magic. He does comedy magic shows. What is it to you? What is the the draw? What what makes magic fun to perform for you? For me, performing in general, whether it's music or magic, is a personal challenge. It's um, it's about for me how well I can present the material. Um, in when I'm performing magic, that means trying to create wonder for the audience. Um, I think 
I mean, when I think when magicians try to fool an audience and, or make them kind of feel dumb about something that that's kind of an, a negative experience for the audience and a misguided approach to, to me. There are some people like a magician called Gazzo that can do it really well. And it comes off as disarming, even though he's kind of mean, (laughs) but, but I think that in general, for me, what I'm trying to do is I'm creating wonder for the audience and at the same time, challenging myself to uh, present the material in in an effective way. Interesting. I have horrible stage fright. I have performed. Oh, so do I. That's why I perform. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I've been I've been in bands. I've done solo performances. I play coffee houses, uh, acoustic guitar, and stuff. And it's horrible for me almost every time. Like it's very daunting. It's embarrassing. And I keep doing it because it because of the challenge. Oh, for sure. The, I'm pretty convinced I will never get good at it. I'm pretty convinced I won't ever get I won't ever get great at it. I'm I think I'm good at th- at the thing, but I don't think I'm great at it. I guess I, don't think I guess I'll what I mean is great. I'll never feel entirely comfortable on a stage. I think that if. If it, for me, what I see is if I feel too comfortable, then I won't, then I'm not challenging myself enough. Like if there's not a, a serious risk for me that this trick could go very wrong and everyone will see the secret move that I did to make it happen, then I'm not challenging myself. Fair enough. Fair enough. I enjoy the challenge as well. I I think during the pre-show talk though you talked about in in programming, um, and, and I'm going to try to make this a uh, smooth transition here, but it's not actually a transition because I don't want to stop talking about magic. I'm just uh, you mentioned that you don't you don't generally go too deep down the rabbit hole when faced with a challenge that you're able to step back and say no this isn't this isn't important this doesn't matter you're able to walk away from a challenge. Is that fair enough to say? Yeah, definitely. Um, most of that comes in, you know, when I'm working on side projects, um, just because I don't tend to have a lot of free time. I have a lot of uh, sort of plates on pikes that I'm trying to keep spinning. But um, like to bring it back to magic, here uh, one example is there was this one move that I was trying to learn to do. And I was basically tearing tendons in my hand, trying to learn to do it. It's a new coin manipulation that I wanted to learn to do. And I went to the magic shop and I was talking to my friend Patrick there. And, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm killing myself trying to learn this move from this book. And he goes, Oh, you know what? That book's a hundred years old and nobody does that. Here's, here's the way to do it without that is in 99% of the cases just as effective and you don't have to spend the next four years trying to learn this. And that was a challenge that I gave up on, but it was because there was, there was a better use of my time to learn this one thing and then move on to integrating that into uh, different effects that I was putting together. You also play guitar. I do. I play badly and I play in, in my office mostly. Have you ever found that 
you can spend a long time trying to memorize uh, a chord, like the actual finger positions, and then find out either accidentally or from a friend that there's like a way to do the same chord uh, five frets up with three fingers instead of the five contortion, five finger contortions you were working on. That doesn't tend to happen to me um, just because I took like three years of music theory and I almost have a, I have most of a major, but didn't qualify for a minor in music, which is three stories in and of itself. Um, so, but whenever I find myself contorting in that way, I go, wait, is there an easier way to play this? And I go experimenting with the other positions on the fretboard. That's smart. You're a smart guy. I was, well, I, d- I, f- I famously did my music theory homework in pen. <laughs> I can't imagine. I, I did a lot of uh, four-part harmony composition with a lot of pencil and eraser. Um, but I was never a, a major or a minor. That was I took music theory in high school and early college uh, to fill liberal arts courses. Nice. Um, I did. I did two years of music theory in college, followed by some other music classes. <laughs> you did. You you've studied a lot of things, haven't you? I have actually. Yeah, I have. I have three degrees. You were because scholastically well traveled. Yeah, you know what else? You know what else is a synonym for that? Um, educated, uh, well in debt, <laughs> <laughs> broke. Yeah. When I, when I, well, the, the, really the thing is when I figured out I was, I went to graduate school, I was, I was admitted to a PhD program and I was going to go and be a professor. And I saw this report that basically in no uncertain terms indicated I would almost never get a job in my field just because of my demographics. And I went, Oh, I'm going to be in school for another three to five years, which sounds like a prison term. And so I may as well go get this computer science degree. I, it's, it's not hardcore computer science. I want to di- I want to disclaim that because, you know, I have friends that are actual computer scientists. It's a computer information technology degree. But I went and did that for three years and um, put uh, graduate school on undetermined length hiatus i'm impressed i just i i I gave up on everything and and went to art school and i'm proud of my degree but there's no way you would have convinced me to go twice i dated a girl who had already gotten her degree from the university of minnesota and now she was at art school getting a second degree and i just can't fathom Mm -hmm. i i don't like school that much see i love i actually love school i'm impressed such a nerd i'm impressed i don't learn I don't learn in any any anything that modern like current day schools offer as far as learning methods and curriculums. I don't learn that way. Yeah, I, they haven't found your pedagogy yet. I, I guess, or they just assume that people like me are just going to figure it out themselves anyway. They should give yeah. honorary degrees to uh, like semi autodidacts. Yeah. I mean, there's, 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 there's a lot to be said for people that can, that can learn experientially. And I think actually that that's a skill that a lot of universities do a disservice by not fostering because you get these 
kids and God bless them. They come out of school and they go to their job or whatever. And then the whole landscape changes within five years and they're either in school again, trying to catch up or they're asking their employer to send them to all of these training sessions and stuff. When, you know, people like you would be able to sit down at Google for, uh, an afternoon and be able to pick up a new useful skill that would keep, keep them marketable. Yeah. And I, I do, I, I think that the job market is shifting to a point where people who have proven that they can do that are, are almost as equally valued as people with degrees. I think so, because there's, I, I had a uh, interview with someone once who said, you know, he doesn't look for people that, can solve the problems he has now. He said he's looking for people that can solve the problems he, that can learn to solve the problems that he doesn't know he's going to have in the next three to four years. Yeah. And that was, that was such an interesting uh, interview statement that, you know, he was, he was basically letting me inside baseball on how he's trying to future proof his business. And it was a really eye opening. Uh, perspective from 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 the business side. Yeah. Well, at one point, I was in charge of hiring for what we'll call a very large corporation uh, mm-hmm. from from my department, and I snuck a guy past the hiring process who had dropped out of college, had no degree, but I knew that he was better at this job than anyone who had come before him, and and I got him in, and he he did. He turned out to be the best person who had ever held that position. And he got, he left. He was too good for us. Like right. literally he was, he was too good to be working with me. Um, but yeah, like it, the, the, the degree, the paper didn't mean anything. It didn't at all. And I think people are starting to realize that. Well, the degree is, it's like a baseline, right? It says it's basically this, this person managed to stick with the process of getting a degree right. for some number of years and was able to BS their way through, you know, multiple assignments, multiple consecutive assignments to receive a grade. Right. Which in, in its, in itself is a skill. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, maybe not the one that, you know, a hiring manager for a development position is looking for. Yes. Agreed. There's one other thing I want to talk about before the next sponsor break. Yes. You recently did some work on a home entertainment system and you, you built, you built basically an invisible home entertainment rack. Tell, tell me how you did that. Right. So we moved into our new house in, uh, 2012 in April, I guess it was. And I had this, uh, idea. I, I was looking around on monoprice, you know, kind of as you do. And I saw these, uh, HDMI wall plates that the, the innards of them run over cat six. Um, and so I was like, you know, what would be cool is if we just had the TV on the wall and none of no entertainment system or, you know, none of the gizmos in the living room where we're actually trying to enjoy, you know, whatever media we're, we're dealing with. So I had our electrician come over and he cut a hole in the middle of the wall and we put a 
an electrical outlet and uh, installed these HDMI repeaters and ran the cat six into the office in my, or into the closet in my office. And the, so the Apple TV is in the closet in my office. The TiVo is in the office closet and they are repeated into the living room. And these plates even have uh, infrared repeaters. So I have a, the infrared repeaters mounted in the living room to the TV, just under where the regular remote receiver is. And then that gets repeated into the office closet and blasted to the, to the TiVo and the Apple TV. So everything just works, but all we have in the living room is just the TV on the wall. And it makes me ridiculously happy. I like the idea of it. I mean, my, my entertainment system is an Apple TV and a Roku and they're Mm -hmm. both, they're both under six inches square. Um, Right. And so I don't have a big problem having them positioned near the television. But I do right. love the idea. When I think about my old media center rack, uh, well, and for something as small as the Apple TV and Roku, you can you could mount them to the back of the I TV. Could. I could, I could, if I were driven enough to even mount my TV on the wall. But I, for the last the last two times, we watched Pacific Rim, and then last night we watched um, what did we watch? It was a movie. It was oh, we watched Thor. The first mm. one, the only one that's out. Um, and they're both, they're, they're not, like, uh, most movies that we watch are more um, it's thinking movies, where right. the visual effects are not the focus. But for these two movies, we both agreed, my wife and I, that we need a bigger TV. And it's the first time, we have like a 32-inch television which mm-hmm. by today's standards is pretty m- minuscule, um, but and and uh, but I've been happy with it for years, and suddenly I find myself wanting a larger television, which means I need more wall space. I need to move my whole entertainment system around, and it might be time to start considering how I'm going to uh, compact and reduce the visual impact of the entertainment system itself. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a, I think that's fascinating too because um, we our TV is forty seven inches. We got it in two thousand eight, and it's like it's now it looks like a behemoth, but it was one of the coolest TVs at the time. Is that like is that a really heavy TV? Like two thousand eight, forty plus inches seems like they were making some really heavy TVs back then. It's it's pretty heavy. <laughs> it's i mean it's it's a flat screen it's lcd and all that but it's it is um it is not light i go like i go to best buy and i pick up the you know the 58 inch yeah samsung like one inch thin tv and uh-huh. I'm, I'm like wow this i could play frisbee with this yeah, or something exactly. and i like that i can carry my current television under one arm with one hand right it cracks me up. The, I, I don't know. I see these commercials sometimes for these this uh, new thing where you can have your TV hooked up and it's got a wireless receiver and you can just move the TV kind of outside if you want to watch the ball game outside or whatever you do. <laughs> and I go, you know, that, that's re- that requires two different things, right? You, that requires one the wireless receiver thing, but it also requires a TV that you won't, you know, end up with a herniated disc for moving. <laughs> yes more than once a year. Yes. 
I, I was the guy in charge of moving the television out to the quad in college so that we could all sit around and watch Tank Girl. Um, and and it was a, it was a mess of of carting large televisions and running cables and it, yeah things would be so much easier today <laughs> definitely the uh, other thing you said that was interesting to me was that you know you're talking about um this one little change that you're considering making and how it's got all these implications for different areas that you weren't really considering until you started talking about it yeah it reminds me of uh, we just got our we just got new iPhones. My wife and I did, and we just got them last week. We had ordered them um, in first part of October, and I, about three weeks ago, I ordered a bunch of um, lightning cables from Monoprice, and I don't know why I'm commercializing for for Monoprice. Are they a sponsor? They are not. You should get on the horn with them. They sh- they should sponsor. I'll I'll um, be making some calls after we hang up. <laughs> but so I I ordered all these lightning cables and and my wife saw basically a box of packages of cables <laughs> arrive, and she goes, "Well, what are all those for?" I go, "Well, we're about to have n- new phones that have <laughs> a completely different connector, and I mean she she knows that they have a different connector. She's she's super sharp, but." Then I, then I was like, so we're, we're going to have these new phones. And we've spent the last 10 years collecting 30-pin connector cables that are now going to not work for any of our devices. And it was kind of like a future-proofing thing, but it was, a, it was a, an implication of buying new phones that, that we barely considered ahead of, ahead of actually having them. And then, you know then we would have been without a place to charge them next to the bed or, you know, in, in the office or the kitchen or wherever. That's necessity though. Like for me, changes like that also lead to the opportunity to rethink everything. Oh, I love it. I do too. I really enjoy having a reason to revamp all my systems. Yeah, and then you just have to figure out when you're going to take two weeks off from work to do it all. <laughs> and when, when you're going to tell your wife that you've done it all. Yeah. Uh, my wife does not take kindly to... Um, Sweeping change? Yes. That's, uh, so this my, is how we're doing it now. <laughs> my wife is a champ about it. She is so easygoing, and she's, she suffers my nonsense so well. Like, we... If I... Like, I'll get sick of my calendar set up, you know, about once every two or three months and I'll switch back to, you know, doing it on iCloud or doing it over here or, you know, whatever. And, or, uh, we, we keep shared grocery lists. And if I change up which app we're using, my wife is such a champ. She'll just go, Oh, that's the one we're using now. Great. You know, we switch over and, and she's, she's happy about it. <laughs> um, well, she may not be happy about it, but she's, she tolerates it. Yeah, very well. My wife has gotten better about accepting it, but it feels more like a resignation than any kind of, um, embracing. Yeah. I think for my wife, it's, uh, she, she sees that for some odd reason, uh, whatever, maladies i'm afflicted with this makes me happy and she just kind of rolls with it because to her she doesn't really care well the key to acceptance spousal acceptance of new technologies is 
whether or not it works. Definitely. If I break stuff, <laughs> if I break a system that was working previously, yeah, I am not, uh, I'm not in, in the good favor at that point. Yeah. The other thing is building up your track record too. Like with, <laughs> for, for me, the, the first, the first thing that I, that I kind of showed up with technology wise that my wife was like, wait, really? What <laughs> was, um, the, the, the original Apple TV. Yeah. And she was like, what is this thing? And what, what, why do we need this? What does it do? And then we used it for a while and she's like, Oh, this is pretty cool. Great. And then the second one was, uh, the, the remote that I bought for us. It's a, the harmony one. Yes. I have that and, one. And, and it's an initially very difficult sell to tell your wife that you bought a $200 remote control. I never did sell it. It's, it's relegated to the back closet now. Really? Yes. Because now when we go, when we go and visit like family or something, neither of us knows how to do anything with the TV oh, because man. there's like 115 remotes. Yeah. That's the thing is we have five remotes on our table and each one serves, you know, a very small purpose in the grand scheme of things. But ultimately, it was easier to do that than to force my wife to suffer through my experimentation with combining remotes into a touchscreen interface. And that's I mostly actually, I, my fault. I take the blame for that. I did not make it a smooth transition. It was very experimental. Right. Yeah, I, uh, I, went, I went deep dive on our TV and the remote configuration. I, I wrote this up on my blog for I don't know why. But the TV had a special setting where you could go and configure on the TV's original remote that when you press this one particular function button, like if it was satellite or cable or um, uh, whatever the, the named function buttons were, you could configure it to automatically jump over to a particular input. And before that, it was one of those things where it would press the input button and then you had to choose like a right. number, which yeah. input you wanted. And when I switched it to use the um, specific button to jump to a particular input, and then I trained the Harmony remote to use that button to switch to that input for the for that activity, things just got so much easier. I think that was where the problem the problem arose for me was there were enough workarounds involved in between five different media devices, enough workarounds that it wasn't, it wasn't perfectly fluid the way I had envisioned it. Right. It's, it's definitely not a solved problem. You know, what is a solved problem. What's that? Email newsletters. Oh, I want to hear about this. Uh, I'm talking about mailchimp.com. Easy email newsletters. Uh, MailChimp helps you design email newsletters, share them on social networks, integrate them with services you already use, and track your results. It's like your own personal publishing platform. Which is, that was a segue, right? Mm-hmm. Eh. Um, however, they help you customize your sign-up form to match your brand so that you can share it on your website and integrate it into your Facebook page. And you can even collect signups from an iPad or laptop. Not a Harmony One remote, but it's still mobile and very cool. 
and importing an existing list into MailChimp is a snap no matter how it's formatted. You can personalize everything your subscribers see, including sign-up forms and confirmation emails. And there's never been a better time to try MailChimp. 2,000 subscribers and you can send 12,000 emails per month forever. Just visit MailChimp.com slash 5x5 to learn more. And that brings us to the top three picks. Actually, can I tell you something about MailChimp? I'm actually using MailChimp now. We uh, for You didn't our... even wait for me to tell you if you could. You just started. But you can. Yeah. Okay. I assumed. Because I'm the guest, right? Yeah. You let the guest do whatever. I do, pretty much. It's true. Um, we have a... My wife and I are both in the community band, and as nerdy as that is. Um, and we recently moved our... Our, I took over all of our internet presence, and we now are, have a, a MailChimp newsletter. We have two of them, actually. We have one internal for um, band announcements and communication, and then we have one that we you know announce our concerts and whatnot. Nice. It's, it's great. Did you know they also make uh, clothing for animals? I saw that, and I want one of those things so I know, badly. right? <laughs> My wife told me about it. She's like, MailChimp's a sponsor. Why don't they ever talk about their hats for dogs and cats? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. So I looked it up, and it's true. They make I, I learned apparel. about that from uh, from This American Life. That's where she learned about it as well. You guys are NPR friends. I like your wife. I do, too. Crazy. We have more in common than you think. You and your wife? No, you and me. We both like dogs, we like guitar, and we like my wife. You don't play the tuba, do you? I do not. My brother plays tuba and sousaphone. Nice. And I think he did it to be a rebel. I think he thought it was funny to be the only guy in school walking around with a tuba. Sure. And he would he would wear it, like not just carry it in a big case, lugging it around. He would just put it on and walk through school. That's a little weird. My he is my sousaphone just stayed in my in my band locker when I was in high school. Yeah. Now my brother's uh, he's weird in that kind of the, the way it makes you go. Hmm, that's actually pretty cool. Someday he he's I think he's onto something there. Like CNC Music Factory. Exactly. Exactly like CNC Music Factory. So what's your top? What's your first top pick? Well. I've actually been doing more travel lately, and so I have a sort of a tag team first pick. Um, the first portion of it is the Everlane Weekender bag. Um, it is a uh, two-handled bag that works for carry-on. Um, I used it for with some strategic uh, packing planning. Um, I took it and my backpack only for 10 days to San Francisco. And um, came back with clean clothes. And the other portion of this is um, I, I recently signed up for this program called Global Entry, which is a, um, a preferred traveler program thing that the Customs and Border Patrol of the United States does, where you can sign up and after an interview, you get a special card and you're basically pre-approved um, as a low risk traveler for entry into the United States. The other thing that this gives you is uh, access to the TSA pre-check uh, lines 
if your airport is a participating airport, which all the ones that I fly into are. And this is basically the special line where if you've been pre-cleared, you can go through, you don't have to take your shoes off. You don't have to take your belt off. You don't have to take your laptop or your uh, liquid baggie out of the bag. You don't have to have a freedom fondle. You don't have to have any of those. Um, What's a freedom that... fondle? Oh, the freedom fondle is the, um, oh, I know what the you mean. pat down after you, after you don't go through the, yeah. The can I, can I ask you a sincere question? Yes. Is there a lot of brown in that line? Like a skin, I mean. Do 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 people of of non-Caucasian descent are, are they are they able to partake in this luxury? I believe so, as long as you're as long as you go through the background check and the um, the interview process, um, they'll let anyone who has a who meets the qualifications go through. That. I have got to get that for my wife. She often gets singled out she's uh she's indian yes and and she's often singled out when traveling to go into the the brown line and get the special pet down and it's infuriating and i i'm often very indignant and to the point where i almost get us both in trouble and uh yeah that would be that would be worth looking into yeah, it was um it was a hundred dollars and it's a five year membership and the TSA pre check line, I walked up, I handed to the the TSA guy my passport, he scanned it. From that point to I had my bags and I was walking to my gate was less than two minutes. Wow. I feel and like you just so cheated lovely. though. I feel like you fit a backpack and a free pass to terrorism free lanes. Into one pick. Well, it was a travel pick. That's almost like magic, Jamie. Well, I uh, see. This is one of those situations where I didn't quite get the secret move past you. You did, though. You inspired wonder in me. Well, then I I want to go back and talk about the fact that you spent 10 days in San Francisco and came home with clean clothes. I don't care what bag you carry. You, you, you traveled for 10 did you do laundry while you were in san francisco i the only thing i did was i did wash fu um unmentionables in the um in the sink oh a few you said a few i thought you said fu no i'm sorry you washed unmentionables in the sink okay yeah, with some fair enough with that's, some detergent. that's good travel planning okay Still ten days and in one backpack and a backpack and this what what was it called? The Everlane Weekender bag. How big a bag is that? Oh, it's um, I don't know. It's about two how feet many, long. How many sets of clothes can you fit into it? I I took I think two pair of jeans and a couple of other pairs of uh, pants and shorts and whatnot. And, I don't know, 15 shirts or something. 15 shirts. No wonder you came home with clean clothes. But that's a lot to fit in a backpack. I give you props for that. I usually go to San Francisco. I'm usually there for a week. Right. And I usually pack four shirts and three pairs of pants. That's my whole ensemble. I I have this horror that I will run out of uh, 
shirts. And what, be seen twice with the same shirt on? No. But, like, if I end up spilling something... <laughs> Three such times. That, if, I, if I spill something such that I can't then re-wear that shirt, you know, after it's aired out a few days. You know what's cool about San Francisco, though? Stores. There are lots of stores in San Francisco. There are, true. and some of them sell clothing. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But I, I, went, to, again, I went to... I went to H&M with a past guest of the show, Dan Peterson. He's a diva, huh? He's a little bit of a diva. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to this. But he's mostly... The, the bad thing is he's almost always right. Now, oh, I know. I know. He, yeah. You can't, you can't blame someone for anything they are if they're right about you know everything that is why they are what they are. Exactly. That was, a, that was the most convoluted way of saying, I love you, Dan. I love Dan, too. Okay. All right. Well, nice pick. Good job. Way to sneak, way to sneak one by me. Um, my first pick is actually going to be for musicians, and you may appreciate this pick as a, as a music minor major yourself. Um, it's called iReal Pro. It's available for Mac and iOS. And it's basically, do you remember an app called Band in the Box? Band in a Box? I do. Uh, like back when I used to use Cubase and all this cool stuff, there was an app called Band in a Box, and you could put in a chord progression and it would play backing music for you. Um, mm -hmm. And this is, this is a modern incarnation of Band in a Box with MIDI software instruments, and you can, it comes with a, a couple hundred. Uh, uh, chord progressions and and music styles and drums and piano and multiple instruments and you can buy expansion packs for like guitar you can you can choose to have all the music displayed as tab instead of uh, scored music and uh, it's it's perfect for both training and practicing and I wouldn't say for recording like really you you should be better at creating back backing tracks for for recording but for practice purposes this is it's a brilliant setup because it takes you five minutes to create your own score and zero minutes to play with one that's you know like you can set up a 12 bar blues track and just hit play and start playing along with it in in three seconds it's pretty cool oh this sounds awesome yep and the expansion packs are pretty cheap too that's really cool. I've been experimenting with, uh, I, I haven't been playing my guitar very much in the last little while or before the last little while. And, uh, I've been experimenting now with, um, garage band and, uh, amp kit and oh. running, running my guitar into them and then out into my little crate amp. Yes. I've been you, having a lot of fun. There. You, you have to get amplitude slash amplitude slash. Yes, it's the sound the the guitar from every Guns N' Roses song, mostly off of um, Appetite. Mm -hmm. It's the guitar sounds at one one click, and you can have like the Welcome to the Jungle guitar sound. It's awesome. Oh, that's so cool! I was I was actually really confused. I went to look at like I was going to buy Amplitude because I heard a lot of good things, and I went to buy it, and then I saw there were like fifty different yeah, apps it was like that Hendrix were all... and Slash and. I got really confused. And I they're, just closed they're, the they're all pretty much their amplitude with all the effects, but the ones that are specific to like certain rock stars, 
mm-hmm. have like preset combos of effects that that alleviate you from having to figure out how to get the perfect flange with the perfect fuzz and the perfect echo and just yeah, give you the sounds the that, that you grew up, you know, you grew up loving these guitar sounds and this just gives you one tap and, and you're there. That's great. Yeah. So I snuck another one in there. Yeah. So you got two there too, huh? Yeah. We're magic. What's your second one? My second pick is a sublime text theme called espresso soda. And uh, this is a theme for sublime text two that makes uh, sublime text. Oh, well, sublime text two and three, I should say. Um, I think you mentioned in the pre-show that you had some trouble with it in uh, sublime text three. I've never had any issue with it. Um, So I don't know if there might be some little fiddling that, people need to do there. But um, essentially for me, it, it makes sublime text just a little bit more Mac. Like it comes with uh, some, the retina graphics. So it looks great on, you know, one of the 13 or 15 inch retina MacBook pros. It looks great on a regular display. It, uh, and it just makes sublime text fit in just a little better with the OS 10 ecosystem. That yeah, I'm actually as you're saying this, I am removing the previous package. Soda install package. Soda. You said espresso soda, but I don't show mm-hmm. that. It's just called soda. Am I crazy? Mm, I don't. I'm not sure. Is it in package um, control? I don't know. Let me look. This is dead air, but I I will say that I, I in, in sublime text too, that was all I used was the soda theme and it was amazing. Uh, then I found nil and I'm not sure nil works in three either. Oh, so it does look like it's just called soda. Yeah. Um, it comes in two variants, soda light and soda dark. Yeah. And it has uh, some modified color schemes as well that um, sort of are, they, they've modified some existing color schemes to make it fit better with the the soda theme. So this isn't, my pick isn't espresso soda, it's just soda. I love soda. We should talk about the soda stream. No, I think that's been covered on other shows. Yeah, my, my cup of soda, my glass is empty. I had soda stream and it's now empty. That's awesome. All right. All right. Yes. Um, I, I don't know how much time I want to spend on this, but there are a wide variety of uh, um, styles, not just I mean, we're, soda is is an interface style. It's for the UE. Um, right. But for every text editor known to man that is worth anything, it ha- there are there are uh, syntax highlight schemes. And I am a huge fan of Twilight, and just about everything I do is either based on a variation of Twilight or a very variation of Malachi or Monakai. What what's your favorite syntax highlighting theme? I used to be a diehard Railscasts theme user when I was in TextMate, and I tried so many different ones over the years, and 
I, I kept coming back to Railscast. And now in Sublime Text, I, with the Soda Light theme, I'm using the, the Soda Light um, color scheme as well. And it's uh, it's a lot of orange and a lot of yellow, but and it's, it's derived. Uh, that's derived from Malachi as well. You like dark I, themes. You like almost almost black, but not quite black themes. I used to, but now the one that I'm using now is a, I'm using Soda Light. Oh, okay. Is that one at all based on Solarized? It is not. It is. Uh, Soda Light screenshot I'm reading from the internet now. Soda Light uses a modified version of Espresso Tutti Colori. Oh, that was an awesome theme. That's the one that was default with Espresso, the text editor. That's why I called it Espresso Soda. Gotcha. I, I'm so That was the only light theme I have ever truly enjoyed. I like Solarized Light all right. I love Solarized Dark, but Espresso Tutti Espresso, espresso Colore Tutti um, from Mac Rabbit was just mm-hmm. outstanding. That I, I I applaud your choice. If you're going to use a light theme, that's the way I would go. And the Soda Dark uses a modified version of Monokai. Yeah. Yeah, and that's... Right now, I think I actually have... Uh, I always customize to a certain extent because I don't like pure black backgrounds. Me neither. I do. I like uh, dark, dark browns and dark, dark grays. Um, I'm a brown person myself. I I, I, I applaud that as well. I, I, I tend to convert my twilight themes to use brown backgrounds. Nice. In fact, I have one online on GitHub. Twilight 2, I call it. Nice. What do you use in Xcode? In Xcode, I use one right now called Space Dust. I just randomly oh, nice. found it one day online and I'll link it. it. It's, it's really, it's, it's gorgeous. It works really well with, uh, the def- like Menlo as my font. I actually use Meslo as my font. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Meslo? I haven't. It's a I'm form- not very particular about fonts as odd as that sounds. I, I am, but, but it doesn't seem like it because I really love Menlo. Like I go through like anonymous pro and, um, What's the, oh, I can't in remember. Consolata. The, yes, in Consolata. I, I've been through all those and I've had phases with just about all of them. But Menlo, which is Apple's like default monospace these days, mm-hmm. it's a gorgeous font. Like, I it's, love it. I like it. I'm using uh, Panic Sans. Okay. Uh, in almost everywhere that I can. And uh, I like it quite a bit. It came with uh, Coda Coda one or Coda two? Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar. It's 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 a nice, it's smooth, it's smooth. I like that. I think it's basically like Menlo, but the I think the underscores were placed differently between Menlo and Panic in a way that Panic won out for me. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, I I could actually spend a lot more time talking about uh, themes. Yeah, this is radio gold. <laughs> I feel like I feel like people are really glued to their headsets right now. Definitely. What will they say next? Um but we'll move on. Whose pick was that? That was mine. Oh, that was your pick. Okay. All right. So my second pick is going to be an app called Post Haste. And I've been I've put some time in lately on a script I call Planter. 
And what it does is you create these templates using tab indented text that when you type plant and then the name of the template, it generates a folder hierarchy based on that tab indented text. And you can use Mavericks tags on the folders in the template. You can add variables that you can specify on the command line. And I love it. Like I find it a huge time saver for things that have repetitive folder structures. But there is, and I've discovered this relatively recently, I've seen a few similar apps, but Post Haste is designed for mostly for post-production and creative studios that are creating like client and project folders frequently. But it mm-hmm. does the exact same thing as Planter, but with a graphical interface, if that's your thing. Um, <laughs> but it, no, it does a really nice job of it. And you can include like uh, default template files for like After Effects or whatever in the, the, the template so that when you drop a new folder structure in, all your, your base template files and everything are there. Which, by the way, Planter can do as well. But the the drawback to Planter is you have to be good in Terminal to make it worthwhile. Right. This is a nice graphic interface, and I am endorsing it publicly, despite my own love of Planter. It is truly a good app. Awesome. Awesome. I'll link it so people can just go look at the pretty pictures. Um, because what I've described probably doesn't do it justice, but they have a very nice website that I will uh, send people to. Yeah. I remember when I did a lot of uh, freelance work for doing, you know, websites and stuff for, for folks um, that I would always end up with these, you know, repetitive structures. And, you know, back in the day you had to create them basically all by hand. Yes. Like an animal, like an animal. I even added in the latest version of planter, you can end it with like a YAML separator, like three dashes, and then write a Ruby script after it. So it'll create oh, a directory on. structure and then run your script. So you can like curl down the latest version of jQuery or WordPress and unzip it into the folder structure and everything. Oh, come on. You're too talented, <laughs> Brad. Or creative. I'm creative. More You're very than creative. Yeah. Ingenuity. I like to think so. Okay, so that was my second. Do you have a third? I do. Um, I recently moved my email and contacts and calendars away from a large corporation that some folks have concerns about called Google. Um, And I moved my email back to hosting my own IMAP and um, set up some other stuff for spam filtering, but that's not what I want to talk about. Um, The pick is... a site service called Fruks, F-R-U-U-X. And this is a uh, contacts and calendar syncing uh, service uh, similar to iCloud um, that you can configure to sync your uh, all your devices, your Macs, your iPhones, your iPads. Uh, I believe they're set up for Android and other platforms as well. And uh they have a free plan that allows you a, a limited number of devices that you can sync on. And then after that, there's a paying plan. So because I believe in paying for things that you use. So I think most people probably get why not Google, but why not iCloud? Lots of people's mileage has varied greatly from mine. 
but it hasn't been super reliable for me just in terms of syncing calendars, um, especially calendars. Uh, contacts, contacts bother me less because as long as it, the duplicates don't bother me, because if I can find one version of this person that I'm trying to email, I'm happy ish. I'm often calendar calendars. If I, if I, I'm very tied to my calendar. If, if things don't exist on my calendar, I'm probably not going to remember to do them at the time and place that they need to be done. And for for me to experience a situation where I create an uh, event on my calendar on my iPhone and then I'm sitting at my desk working and I have Do Not Disturb turned on on my phone and my calendar never alerts me to shut things down and go to this appointment. That's just because it didn't finish syncing or something. something happened between there and here and... I, that it's uh, it's something that I just found I couldn't trust to always be up to date everywhere. I I have had the similar experience. I've decided that I don't care enough about any of my appointments to do anything about it. But are you willing to say then that Fruits is infinitely more reliable than iCloud? Will you attest to that? So far for me, it's been less than a week that I've been using them. So, you know, it could change. But so far for me, it seems very reliable. Um, changes that I that I make on my phone sync within a few minutes. Um, it's it doesn't do push because it's a CalDAV, not um, not that Exchange or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so it's only on the fetch frequency of your phone, but uh, it's been pretty solid for me. Have you ever used BusyCal on the Mac? I've tried more than once. Have you had issues? I've had I've had lots of really strange issues that I'm I'm almost a hundred percent sure come down to some failing on my part because a lot of smart people that I trust a lot swear by BusyCal and it's just never clicked with me. It's it's just never felt right. I've been confused or uh, thwarted when I've done things. And I... Would you say a state of wonder? Yeah, it seems like <laughs> magic. No, I love BusyCal. I, I don't have... I don't do enough calendaring to justify like diving into it full-heartedly. Wholeheartedly? Full-heartedly? Wholeheartedly. Full-hearty. Full-hearty. Yes. And, uh, but it's, it's like, to me, it solves a lot of the issues that one runs into with iCloud, Gmail, uh, Google Calendar, etc. But I haven't tried Fruits. And like I said, I've kind of decided that if an appointment doesn't bother to remind me that it's happening, I just decide that, well, screw them. And, uh, and that has not, uh, as far as my, my work life goes, has not been the best strategy. So I'm going to take your advice on this one and maybe not miss the next standing meeting that we have at work. Yeah, mine, I can usually remember things like, you know, repeating 
repeating events. Like if I have a call with uh, one of the guys at work every, you know, Monday, Wednesday and Friday, I'm pretty good at remembering that. If, but like if I have an, a doctor appointment scheduled or uh, the dog has to go to the vet or, you know, just yeah. any of those things that happen life events infrequently enough that they're not front of mind. They go way in the back of my mind. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. A, I think it's ridiculous that you call it a standing meeting when people are remote workers. This isn't to you. This is to other people who know who they are. Um, but B, yeah, it's, uh, there are a lot of events that happen on my calendar that I really shouldn't ignore. Uh, things like vet visits, for example, dental appointments, uh, surgery appointments. For sure. These things are, they're not easy to reschedule. Let's put it that way. Right. Or like, like I've got, I've, not to be too personal, but I have to go to, you know, uh, my, my hometown a couple hours away, uh, this week on Thursday. And I have to remember to leave for that two hours ahead of time. <laughs> I can't remember to leave for it 40 minutes before the appointment. Yeah. And, and I have, I have to know certainly that my calendar is going to send me the, the bloop at the right time in order for my own peace of mind to keep my neuroses from, from derailing any other sense of concentration that I might have throughout the week. Fair enough. All right. That was your pick, right? It was. I'm losing track because we're kind of throwing a lot of stuff in here, but my third pick was that your third pick already? It was. Oh man. Okay. So my third pick is an artist, a music musical artist named Dessa. And she used to perform with Doomtree. Uh she's solo now. She's a rapper slash singer. And she's amazing. And I don't I saw her recently. She did a small show in Rochester, Minnesota. She's out of Minneapolis originally. She's touring the country right now. But she took the time to do a small show through uh, The Current on NPR um, in Rochester, Minnesota, in a theater that maxed out at 300 people. And so, awesome. uh, yeah, I'm sitting there in this very small theater, very intimate environment, and she puts on one of the greatest shows I've ever seen that involved no, you know, special stage props, no makeup, no. It, it was just her and her band, and they were just so connected with the audience that it made her instantly one of my favorite artists. And she does. She's a. She's a. Um, I want to say a linguistic artist. Like she's not just. She's not a rapper. She's like a full on. MC with degrees in linguistics and uh, philosophy, and she has very important, thoughtful things to say. And oh, she great. she weaves words in ways that are truly poetic and truly worth listening to. And I passionately endorse Dessa. That's great. How do you spell that? D e s s a. 
That was my guess. And you can find some of her stuff. If you look up Doomtree out of Minneapolis, she used to perform with Doomtree. And you can find some of her early stuff there. But if you just look up Dessa on YouTube, there are a few great videos. Uh, uh, Dixon's Girl is definitely worth... I mean, video alone, it's amazing, but her lyrics are just awesome. That sounds cool. I'm going to look her up. And Warsaw. Look up Warsaw. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, One of my favorite band of all time uh, did a Kickstarter in uh, 2011 to um for their reunion after they broke up in 2003 and their new album engine of a million plots is uh releasing in do you want uh, to name on, the band what's the oh, band i'm sorry it's called five iron frenzy they're <laughs> you just assumed everybody knows what your favorite band is i know fair enough <laughs> um yeah they're from they're out of denver um they're officially i guess a christian band but they've they've toured with bands like uh, mustard plug and less than jake and they're touring right now uh, on some legs of the real big fish tour um so they kind of they they have they definitely have a message but it's not super in your face aren't they like ska they are indeed so they're like the striper of ska I suppose you could think of them that way. I'd rather not. I would rather not. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not talk about Striper. Let's talk about Five Iron Frenzy. Yes. All right. And this album comes out November 26th. What's it called again? Engine of a Million Plots. Engine of a Million Plots. I'm actually wearing my... Fire Iron Frenzy Kickstarter t-shirt right now. That doesn't surprise me, but what what is that a reference to? A, is that a literary reference? Literary reference? What, Engine of a Million Plots? Yes. It would not surprise me if it were. The, the lyricist is uh, pretty... Uh, literary? Deep that way, but... Huh. All right. All right, so you just snuck a pick in inside of my pick. You are truly a magician. It's a, a musician. That's like a, a musical magician. I think it's a pickception. Pickception. That's. I was thinking of Inception when you were describing your magic trick with a box inside of a box inside of a flask inside of a rubber band. Yeah. Inception. Did I think you, so. Did you know if you run um, Total Finder in Mavericks? Mm-hmm. And use the super special shortcut for creating a new tab in. Uh, from if you open a folder in a new tab, which I think is Command Option Shift O, in Finder, okay. while you have Total Finder running, you can get native Finder tabs inside of Total Finder tabs, creating a perfect tab inception. That's that's bizarre. That is that is one piece of absolutely worthless knowledge. That I'm putting out there into the universe. And that's a thing that now the listeners can't unhear. You can't. You can never unhear that. Ugh. You'll lose sleep. It'll haunt your dreams. Anyway. How about a third sponsor? Yeah. Let's Are we done this. with our top eight? I think so. <laughs> okay. Um, our third sponsor today happens to be Shutterstock.com 
where you'll find over 28 million images, stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and 1 million video clips. Start your search at Shutterstock.com to find that perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection to find images from around the world to suit your project. Choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. You can choose whatever fits your need and never have to compromise. If you need just one image for your blog or your mock-up, you can do that too. Every time you visit Shutterstock.com, you'll find something new because they add 20,000 new images every day and 12,000 videos each week. It's more affordable than you think, too, with no extra charge for large files. Just download any image at any size and you pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. Easily curate and share pictures via Lightboxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos and add them to your own Lightbox gallery as you search, and they even have an iPad app for doing exactly that. There's also something called Enhanced License Access. If you like an image and want to run it on print or swag for your trade shows, they can get you an enhanced license for any image. Shutterstock also has a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips if you need any of those. If you need help at Shutterstock.com, you get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions. They also have 24-hour support during the week. To sign up for a free browse account, go to Shutterstock.com, no credit card needed. When you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use the offer code DANSENTME1113 and get 25% off of any package you put together over at Shutterstock.com. <sighs> Jamie. Brett. Twitter, JXPX777. In fact, you you took my strategy, and you can be found by this somewhat um, esoteric handle just about everywhere. Indeed, yes. You can go to JXPX777 on app.net on Twitter. You can even go to JXPX777.com. To find Jamie's Smartshire and Cocksure blog. Anywhere else that works? Does that work on uh, Last FM? It does. It works on Last FM, Tumblr, um, probably a lot of places I'm forgetting. GitHub. Oh, of course, GitHub. Yeah, it's just like TT Scoff. You can you can go anywhere with TT Scoff and I should not tell people that so freely. Because I use that even in places where I don't necessarily want to be public. Right. Like, if you went on to, like, OkCupid, you could find me. I'm just kidding. I'm not on OkCupid. I was looking. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. So, let's see. I found you on Last Last FM. And... I, I listen to a lot of music that's not from this decade. That's okay. So do I. I've oh, do I had a huge like Hendrix kicks lot Kendrix kick last week, and I want to say to the guy who responded to my joke about excuse me while I kiss this guy, yeah, explaining to me that that was actually from the song Purple Haze and the lyric was excuse me while I kiss the sky. <laughs> I want to say thank you, thank you for understanding humor. You know, sometimes it's helpful to have people explain things to you. Helpful, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I do appreciate all of my followers and all of the witty things they say. Even when they're not witty. 
excuse me while I kiss this guy. So, yeah, so I covered your website, I covered your Twitter, your app.net, your last.fm, and your GitHub. Anywhere else you want to talk about? No, that's that's way, way more than, than anyone should be subjected to. Fair enough. I have said fair enough seven times in this episode. You kept count? Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's, it's a neuroses. Um, <laughs> what? What, I usually write on is my other thing that I watch myself when I say it because write on and to all of my future listeners ignore this I mean future guests ignore this but write on is what I say when I don't know what to say when someone says something and I'm just like whoa okay I just say write on I think it's a Minnesota thing but I'm not sure about that alright write on write on all right. Well, Jamie, thanks a ton for being here. I won't take up any more of anyone's time with uh, with my ramblings. It was great to talk to you, though. Oh, thank you, Brett. It's it's been a blast. Excellent. And I'm Brett Serpstra. I'm at brettserpstra.com. I'm TT Scoff everywhere, as previously mentioned. And we'll see everybody in one week.